Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Eight Ball. Today we are discussing the obsession with run chases. Nobody has ever chased more than 220 here, despite there being a 219 for one, a 217 for two and a 209 for four. With several chases that would surely have made that 220 is, like most of the things in our beloved sport, it just a load of old ass. As ever, I'm joined by my big brother, David. And today we are joined by Liverpool Echo's junior vice president of cricket journalism, Tom Evans. Hello, Tom. Hi, Mick. Hi, Dave. Hello, Tom. Thanks for joining us. Thank, thank you for having me. Uh, admin Dave. Uh, one small bit of admin, uh, an addendum to the Libke, Dan Libke episode, the last one we did about Deserved a Century. Um, we had in there, I think, a brief chat about how no one's ever deserved a 50. Um, Libke inevitably then went and found evidence of a commentator using the phrase deserved a 50. And as everyone who's listened to that episode, I'm sure you've listened to it, Tom. It's so it's a good one. Uh, definitely didn't just get published an hour before we recorded this. <laughs> um, anyone who's listened to that or has heard any cricket commentary ever will immediately be able to guess the commentator responsible for deserved a 50. It was, of course, the late, great Shane Warne. And I think we've got a small clip of that. Yes, here it is. Broad gets his third, and Australia are nine down. That's a shame. He deserved a 50 there, Kerry. Played well. Yes, he had a bit of a chance, had a bit of luck. And that's all the admin. Good. And so on to today's episode. Tom, we've had a brief mention there in Mick's excellent introduction about what the topic you've selected is. Uh, would you like to more fully explain it and why you wanted to discuss it with two idiots? Well, this is in many ways my gateway, gateway bugbear into a sort of a whole world of cricket punditry bugbears, which is this idea that in test matches, the, the amount of runs that a side can chase in the fourth innings is limited by the number of runs that a side has chased in the fourth innings in the past and won. Now, I'm sure cricket nerds like us will be able to instantly reel off um, the, the, the highest run chase in the fourth innings, some memorable ones, notably particularly um, a few years ago, Ben Stokes and Kushal Pereira, um, fantastic test matches, obviously. But the fact is, I, I've got a list here of the, the 50 highest fourth innings in test history. Do you want to have a guess how many of them ended in victories for the for the side batting fourth? Ooh. Um, 22. 22, that's your guess, Dave. Mick? Ooh, I'm going to go 23. Ah. No. <laughs> no. Uh, um, uh, 17. 11. <laughs> 11. Um, almost half of them, 23 of them ended in defeats. And that makes sense, to be honest, because if a side is good enough when batting third to be able to set a target of 500, 550, 600 sometimes, they're good enough to win. They're good enough to bowl the other side out cheaply. And if they don't bowl them out cheaply, they're good enough to bowl them out expensively, but not quite, you know, still be well ahead of the game. Um, the highest ever was in the timeless test. So... Out of all cricket stats, there's the most genuine case for saying that doesn't count. Um, but yeah. the, the highest... <laughs> Timeless test highest math bottom, is acceptable maths, I think. I, I think so, yeah. Just because it's... There was 218 eight-ball overs in that four <laughs> <laughs> Um 
It's basically a whole test match. England had to get off and 42 run the short of their target because they they were about to miss the boat back from South Africa. <laughs> um, uh, Nathan Astle's test in 2002, yeah. uh, where he went bananas with New Zealand 7 or 8 down, chasing an impossible target. That, that's the highest ever fourth innings in a timed test. And uh, New Zealand lost by... 100 runs basically mm-hmm. they were nowhere near they were never going to win that no matter how mad Nathan Astle went so almost always when a side's chasing a big four things total they lose or draw because it's only fairly recently that test matches have had high enough scoring rates for anyone to even have time to chase that many runs in the fourth innings but what what really annoys me about these is that more often than not they've chased those runs one, two or three wickets down. And the context can be so ludicrously specific about this. Anytime there's a fourth innings at Lords where the target yeah. is is about, you know, 300, 400, that kind of range where it would be a difficult chase, they'll bring up the fact that all oh, the highest toll ever chased at Lords was 344. It was 344 for one. Yeah, in about 80 when, overs as well. Yeah, yeah, it was all entirely on the last day with plenty to spare in terms of both wickets and time. That's when Gordon Greenwich got a big double hundred for the West Indies in '84, and um, England having declared lost by nine wickets, having set 340 to win. Um, now, you don't need to look at analysis. You don't need to look at the past to know that that's a difficult thing to do, and that that's that's impressive. Yeah, you know, if, if somebody back in the 1930s, had chased 360 to win at Lords. That would be no less impressive. But it seems that they're so anchored in the idea that what's been done in the past, that sets the bar. And, you know, in order to get the record, you have to do something that's that's significantly more impressive. It's kind of... I think it's it's kind of symptomatic of the way that um, pundits talk about cricket and talk about um, history and stats and the like. It, it's it's one that I think I'd never really given it much thought, Tom, until you started tweeting about it. And once you started, it became very, very quickly, very missed thing. <laughs> and it, I, 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 liked, I like to spread my bugbears. So. <laughs> because like, when anything like that, it's good to, to share it around. So that yeah, you're not. Yeah. So it's not just all on you. You know what I mean. But I think it, it's have a little support group. It's one of those that one that you sort of like. It pops up on the screen and you don't really pay it much heed. It's just. But once you start thinking about it, you you realise of of course it's ludicrous. Of course it 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 doesn't make any sense. It's um. This it's it, again like like Tom says. It's the idea that that what's happened before is this vital clue and I think it, it is specifically with this that with the highest successful chases um it it's so reductive um I mean that Lord's example is a brilliant example because of you know it being 340 for one but mm-hmm. at least at Lords there's also a massive body of evidence of loads and loads of test matches when you look at how many actual mm. highest successful fourth innings chases there are full stop you'll very often find that, oh, no one's ever chased more than 180 here. But it's In a ground six games, though, yeah. maybe like 12 test matches 
only three of which were won by the team back in six. There's, there's very often not enough data anyway to say anything. And I think I think the thing with it is that it comes down to it's it's definitely part of the wider phenomenon of declaration speculation. When these come up, it's nearly always because one team is annoying the commentators um, by denying them a day five tea time and batting <laughs> on when the commentators are adamant they've got enough here surely no one's ever chased this here you know 400 that's enough surely and there's this this weird thing you it, you'll you'll see with commentators is that there's never never real criticism of of captain who declares too early if you declare 10 overs too early and lose everyone will pat you on the back and say oh, brave captaincy we like to see that if you declare yeah, 10 overs too late, then you draw. Yeah. Joe Root at Headingley is the exact one yeah. in 2017, I think it yeah. was, against West Indies. They gained so little from that declaration and stood to lose so much that it was it was just it was just silly. England had had a really good sort of session and a half with the bat where they seemed to have taken the game away from West Indies the tailored wag or wokes had got runs or someone like that and it was one of those where like it was like oh the momentum's all with us let's get at them tonight and and actually they didn't really give themselves that much more time if you're not going to bowl a team out in 90 overs on day five you're probably not going to bowl them out in 110 or 100 or whatever it was mm -hmm. but they did just give enough time that they couldn't just set attacking fields they couldn't continue to attack and it just gave the West Indies a sniff and it's one of those where if that was against Australia Joe Root doesn't declare then if that's against India Joe Root doesn't declare then and but you almost never hear it talked about but Andrew Strauss declaring 10 overs too late you know both of them chunters on about that 10 years later still going oh, blah, 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 blah. Oh, I could have won that game if they declared five overs earlier like, even if they win, they're still chunts about it. The, the, the Lord's Ashes test of uh, 2013 was one where Cook declared too late and yeah. England won by 300 runs with a day to spare. Um, <laughs> same deal at um, the Pakistan test at Old Trafford where Joe Root got his big double hundred. Yeah. Um, England not only didn't enforce the follow-on, they also batted Pakistan completely out of the game before winning by 200, 250 runs with, with a day and a half to spare. I think that the, the 2013 Ashes is probably the peak of it, but there's a there's a huge genre uh, there to be had. I think Cooks England were the kings of this, but England winning Test matches wrong <laughs> is is definitely a favourite subject of mine, and I'm sure something we'll come back to. Um, especially it's now not, that England don't win Test matches at all. It's been a problem in recent years, has it? It's, uh, it's something that has their system very effectively. Joe Roots captaincy. <laughs> he, he nipped that in the bud. We're not going to win any more test matches wrongly. Uh, just a, a point before we go on that um, David's uh, child is in the background of this having a little squeak. So uh, if that bothers you, fuck off. <laughs> Don't be angry about a child. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it is frustrating because it, it, it spoils fourth innings run chases and fourth innings run chases are among the best things about test matches, Yeah, I think. Yeah, um, it's, it's the hardest way to win a test match by chasing a lot of runs in the fourth innings. Um, and, you know, 
no one who was there or even who was watching on television will forget um, Stokes at Headingley, for example. As yeah. you know, there's, there's no other kind of scenario in cricket like it. Um, but, you know, it's, it's sort of the way this stat is used almost sort of mystifies it when really, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's 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 possible that the record has stood for um, best part of twenty years now, which is kind of strange when you think about the way scoring rates are going yeah. and, and the way pitches are flattening out. Um, it's kind of strange that it was set by a West Indies side who were pretty much universally regarded as rubbish against an Australia side who were regarded <laughs> as one of the best ever. Um, I was reading about it. It's a, it's a great test match that because um, obviously it's one of those for a start. Both first innings were exactly identical. Yeah. It's on the same score, so they might as well not have bothered with the first innings. Um, secondly, the one player in, in that West Indies side who you could have banked on to get big runs in a big fourth innings chase, Brian Lava, he got he got he got sixty. He got sixty in both innings. He didn't have a bad game. Um, but he didn't, you know, he didn't anchor the chase himself. It was Chanderpaul and Sarwan. Um Jermaine Lawson took seven wickets in the first innings and then got banned for chucking. Um <laughs> Almost during the game, his action was reported by the umpires, and by the end of the game, he'd been reported, he'd been examined by the ICC. Um, it was never, never the same again. Um, it was also the test match where there was the unpleasantness between um, Namnavesh Sarwan and Glenn McGrath, and all the, the finger wagging at the umpires, and sort of that kind of iteration of Australia being nasty, successful bastards on the cricket field. You know, um, it, it was a, would have been a you know, a, a great test match to be, you know, involved in in the, in the crowd or, you know, or anything. But, you know, it is just, it's just strange that that record has stood for so long when, you know, there's been a couple of times where a team has got close to overhauling it, but not, not quite managed. But it, it, it's going to go. And then, you know, that, that will show that it's not that big a deal. You know, it's, it's not that big a, um, a barrier. Yeah, I think it's the thing with it, right, as a record... It's it's an interesting record to talk about. Oh, totally, yeah, yeah. That's the highest successful or the the third highest score ever made in the fourth innings. I think that is fine, you know, it, it in in and of itself. I think the problem with it specifically as a as a as a cliche is when it's used as, as an attempt to say, and that's why this captain now should be doing something different. It it, it that's when it feels like reductive and not properly considering because like when they're talking about declarations you very occasionally now and i don't know if this is the power of your work tom but i'm going to give you the credit <laughs> for it because i've never seen anyone else get angry enough about it for it to be but sometimes now you do see high that the highest fourth innings totals not the highest successful fourth innings chases it's still imperfect but it feels like a much more useful guide if you're thinking of setting a fourth innings target and you're going to look at previous fourth innings on this ground or whatever it doesn't actually matter whether those previous fourth innings were successful or not if someone scored 440 for four to draw you don't want to be setting 400 no in your just because nobody's ever scored more than 330 to win you know it doesn't matter yeah so i do think that is is a is less egregious than when they just put the highest successful chases up. Um, but I also wonder if part of that is what we mentioned earlier, that sometimes there just literally aren't enough 
successful fourth innings chases to fill a screen on the TV, which should in itself be a clue that you probably shouldn't be wheeling this out. Yeah. Uh, to make any kind of serious point, if you've got three data points. I think it was during the uh, the England series in India, um, beginning of last year. Obviously, you know you, you definitely don't get many successful big fourth innings chases in pitches that break up for the spinner subcontinental pitches. And I think they, they showed the top ten successful chases, and some of them are like eighty, yeah, eighty for four, it's like down near the bottom of the table. Like, you know, you, you don't need to be. You know, that's not really unprecedented. If someone, you know, I think oh, we write ourselves into the record books here, lads. We've got, we've chased down 81 on this pitch. It's, um, I mean, for England, it'll be impressive, but, yeah. you know, for any normal pitch, <laughs> really. How much, if, if anything, do you think that players and coaching staff are aware of these, these numbers? And did, surely there's more important things impacting their decisions on the on the day weather all that sort of shit that 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 even though it's interesting because it looks good on the stats do you think the players mm-hmm. and staff care about this or even know no i i don't think you need this spreadsheet that i've got open in front of me to know that chasing 420 to win a test match is good and yeah. difficult and unlikely yeah and unlikely yeah at the same time a captain mulling a third in his declaration when they're on top they need to know how fit their bowlers are. They need to know how flat the pitch is. They need to know how short the boundaries are. Um, the state of the series. The state of the series, absolutely, yeah. 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 There's so many it's different variables. You're going you're gonna to go for it more likely, aren't you? Um, yeah, the, the, you know, the, the quality of the opposition, there's, there's so many factors that are so much more relevant than mm. just bluntly looking at history, you know. Yeah, I've got an- another question, which um, actually came from Dan Lipke when we were talking about what we were doing next. And he said that he's ne- uh, you never see or you rarely see the uh, lowest totals being brought into a conversation. No, no that's, that's the opposite of it, isn't it? That's yeah. the, the that lowest just... totals defended. It's the... yeah, yeah, exactly. Why, yeah. why Why? not? Just not as fun. It's because you, you don't get any declaration speculation out of it. I suppose, yeah, of course. The only, mm-hmm. the only reason that comes up is I feel like obviously a big part of commentary is drumming up the tension and suspense as soon as it's you know you don't need a contest of well we know exactly what's going to happen here they're going to win aren't they yeah so mm-hmm. if if a team is bowled out and sets a fourth innings target of 140 you know everything you know of cricket tells you they should probably chase that. They that that team will win. 140 is not very many runs, but if teams have successfully defended less than that on this ground, then you mention that to go well. Nip a couple out early, and so please don't change channels. Do keep watching. This isn't finished. But that's that's the only time you see that one, and it's never by definition that's never going to be a long discussion. Whereas if when you know when Alastair Cook was England captain and would routinely declare a good three hours after Ian Botham and Shane Warner decided he should declare, that time was all filled with highest successful fourth innings chase chat. So it's always going to be a longer discussion, even if the other one does come up. I've found the list, by the way. 
the, the lowest totals defended or lowest targets defended, rather. Um, a lot of them are from the 1800s. Yeah, I guess that's another <laughs> problem with that as yeah. a stat, isn't it? Friendly era. Whereas with the highest run chase, I've noticed the sort of you have to either like, take with a pinch of salt anything from the past 15 years where you know the, the pips have been a lot flatter, batters, batters have been a lot stronger, and also anything done by Australia between 1930 and 1948 yeah. sort of gets, gets a little asterisk next to it yeah. because Bradman maths. Yeah, exactly. Um, England failed to chase 86, or 885 rather, they failed to chase 85. They lost by uh, lost by seven runs in 1882. That against Australia. It's changed that. so much, hasn't it? God, can you imagine an England team? <laughs> I can't imagine. I can't imagine even a good England side. I can't imagine I'd be sat there watching them set off in a ch- for a chase of eighty-five, thinking this is in the bag. Yeah, no, <laughs> that, that's all myself. Yeah, but I mean, more recently, uh, I think this is the one where Michael Clark took six for in India. Yeah, bowled them out. They, they were only chasing one hundred and seven, and they got bowled out for ninety-three. Um, for example, but yeah, it's it's kind of. I, th- I think my favourite England one of those in relative recent history was one of those Pakistan tests in yeah. the UAE when they were chasing about 140 and literally got halfway. Yeah. I got <laughs> I don't know the exact numbers, but so it wasn't a tiny total they were chasing, but it was a small one and they got halfway. <laughs> it was about that, yeah. It was Said Ajmal, wasn't it? And um, that's a man like, yeah. like turning the ball. Which are, uh, England batters have long considered cheating. Yeah. So spinning the ball, spinning yeah, the fourth yeah. innings, bad order. Not cricket. Yeah. <laughs> it's against the spirit of cricket, that is. Poor form. Very much so. Uh, another thing to say is that we did say it in the first episode, and I, d- I don't think we need to say it every every episode. But it, when when we're talking about this, and we're it it might look like criticism, and that we're saying you should do something different, and but never actually offering the different thing you should do. So it, it, all of this comes from love. Um, when we're when we're pointing out commentators being weird, yeah, it it it's as as I, as I think as we show with the proficiency of our own broadcasting on this. <laughs> I don't think you can count this as a broadcast. Absolute. <laughs> before it goes anywhere near human ears. Live, yeah, yeah. live commentary on any sport is... I, I, I just think it's an insanely difficult job. I don't know how anyone does it. Um, and I am in awe of the people yeah, who can absolutely, do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but there's, there's, definitely, and there's definitely, in cricket, you've got huge expanses of time to fill. And it can't all be... Atherton and Hussein doing detailed technical analysis or Michael Holden dissecting a bowler's action, you know, wonderful as those things are. Mm-hmm. And you you do need to like, there are times in the third innings of a game where you know a declaration is coming and it's actually a real low intensity part of the match. The, the, the match isn't... Mate, that's really loud. That's really loud. You don't like I think the, he agrees with you. I think he's, yeah. You know, the the last hundred runs before a third innings declaration are, they can be really good fun. It can be a fun period of a game, but it's a low intensity moment when both teams, you know, the, the fielding team have sort of sapped it off, really. They're just waiting for the declaration to come. They're tired, they're knackered, they're not feeling great about life. The batting team are just 
often targeting an arbitrary round number. That's yeah. it's another round number thing. Yeah. We're not going to yeah. declare 498 ahead, are we? We'll bat another over and be 500 ahead, thank you. Or, or, or with the bat on 98 either. Yeah, unless it's Graham Hick. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, yeah. That's a callback as well to the Libkip. So we about that there, don't we? Um, yeah. I, I, even though I, I ha- haven't heard that episode yet, I, I, I got the reference. That's, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that, Thanks, that's, mate. That's how clever it is. Um, <laughs> it, you've got to talk about something. You know, we... Yeah. We, we like to joke about how declaration speculation always starts far too early and it's way easier in the commentary box to say it than yeah. as a captain he's going to have to, you know, live or die by that decision. Um, and it's it's a thing, isn't it? It's a thing to talk about. It's a graphic you can put up on screen. You can start, you know, there's every chance you've got someone in the commentary box involved. You can start taking the mickey like, you know, it used to be Gower, didn't it, when that 340 for one would come up, Gower would get mocked. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, lots of times Nasser Hussain's been involved yeah. disastrously. You know, wonderful player and captain that he was, and they take the mickey out of him for a bit. It's, I can see why they use it as a commentary device. It's just inherently not very useful when used to determine if and when a team should declare at that moment. There are so many other more relevant factors as we've talked about already. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. When it comes to looking at the past, it's interesting. It's just of no predictive use yeah. when looking at the future at all. It's more useful in, um, in limited overs cricket. I think that's more relevant because if a team doesn't win, they lose. And it's sort yeah. of, there's no kind of there's less going to be less variation in the amount of time or chances they have to get the runs because you know they've got 50 overs. There's a difference between 50 overs on that Johannesburg pitch where South Africa chased 430 odd and 50 mm. overs on, on another pitch, but there's still you know there's, there's still just got that. There's like I said, there's less variation in possible scores they could end up on, so it's more yeah, sort of relevant. If, if it's possible for a team batting first to score. You know, the fact that they've got yeah. 350 yeah. means this is probably quite a good pitch to bat on anyway. So when chasing yeah. a high score, but but again, even then, there's still I think there's there's value in that the highest scores batting second, not necessarily just the highest successful ones. Yeah, um, yeah. But I do think you're absolutely right. It's it's there's so much less. Um, variation so many fewer variables that make that sort of misleading and, and meaningless I think it's more valid there and I think that's often the case that uh, with with lots of things that we will probably go on to talk about in future episodes of this where something that actually has quite a reasonable validity in one form of the game just gets used in another where actually it's it's not that great you know we still talk about averages in with 2020 batsmen yeah, yeah. is a batter's 2020 average really anything does it you know average is over 50 in in averaging over 50 in 2020 cricket isn't as useful as averaging 30 if your strike rate's twice as good you know there's it's things like that you know that just get ported across from from one to the other when they're mm-hmm. actually not that valid I like to say it's, it's, we always do those. 
it, it, it's not easy. And um, like I said, the third innings of a game, usually this is happening when one team's well on top and it's obvious if anyone's going to win, it's them. There's not much else to talk about. You know, all the all the techniques have been analysed and all the selection debates have been done in the first half of the game. And yeah. commentators only have things to say. It's not easy. And um, yeah, but that's often when this comes out. And yeah, I'd just like them to acknowledge more often that if a team <laughs> scored 340 for one, they probably would have chased 500 if they'd had time <laughs> and if they'd needed to. Yeah. I think that's the big thing with it. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that, Tom. That was uh, that was super interesting. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Um, if you probably do already, if you fuck about with Tickners, um, follow Tom at Tom Evans Echo on Twitter. And thank you very much. I'm sure we'll see you again for uh, for another episode in the future. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you very much for having me on. Um, I have I have many many cricketing bugbears, so I'd, I'd love to love to talk about them. Um, at great length anytime that is exactly what this thing's about so we'll look forward to seeing you again soon thank you david thanks mate thanks tom thanks everyone we will see you again thanks for listening cheers now bye-bye bye bye bye